Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Oscar Watch Podcast, the podcast where we look back at past Best Picture winners for your reconsideration. I am your host, Stephen Buja, and joining me once again, like he does, Mr. Matthew Marchetti. Matt! Yep. Good seeing you. How are you? I'm doing great. Excited to talk about this movie. Excited to talk about this movie. Excellent. Excellent. Excited about the, the incoming October season. Oh, yes. You got your... Excited. Do you have your horror movies all lined up for what you want to uh, review on I Instagram? do, actually. I think I have 31 all... 31... I actually have some alternates, too. So it'll be some uh, older movies, some brand new movies, some theatrical movies, some brand new Netflix movies, um... Nice mix of everything. So. Yeah. And you know who needs who needs to write a, a master's thesis, right? When you mm-hmm. just have to. I do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's I'm right. I'm getting there. I'm I'm actually already I'm already kind of at the length that it needs to be with only three chapters. So I feel like <laughs> I don't feel as much pressure just because I I can probably just organize it as is, and then I can always finish it later. I mean, I will finish it later, like 100%, but I, I'm still planning on getting through the 1980s, the 1990s, and the 2000s. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, more importantly, mm. do you have a horror movie picked out for this podcast? <laughs> so I, um, I, I, this is for the, our, like, on Oscar. Yes, our, 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 I mean, on yeah. Oscar. So I, I have a few. I, that, that keep coming to mind, and I, and I wanted to do something that I thought would be just really fun, but also just really like indicative of the genre, but also something that like fit the Halloween season. Um, so I, I do, I have a few, but I, I don't know. I'll I'll I'll, I'll float them by you, or maybe okay. we can we can float them together and have people pick, or I don't know, something fun. Yeah, something like that. And I definitely have options. Right. I definitely have options. It, sir, if you were to suggest. Halloween three season of the witch, I would totally be down with that, or whichever whichever one was the just not that's the actual one. Halloween. <laughs> yeah, which is actually one of my it's actually one of my favorites, and any real horror fan will tell you that they really like that movie. It's so um, good. It's mostly people who haven't seen it that don't like it. They they just they've heard that Michael Myers isn't in it, so like, well, why would I watch it? Well, because it's a movie, you idiots. Right. Come on. It's seriously. shit together. <laughs> yes, folks, that is right. Uh, during the month of October, we're going to be. Looking at a lot of the movies that were nominated for Best Picture that also happen to be somewhat sort of maybe kind of okay horror movies. Mm-hmm. And uh Matt will uh be giving us one of the one of one of one of his own great ones. So we're looking forward to You're talking we're about horror movies that. and dogs. Oh god. <laughs> oh god, it's like Candyman. You just say Dutch three times and suddenly bah, he shows up. Yep, he's gone. <laughs> But the movie this week is 1940s, Rebecca, directed by Alfred Hitchcock, written by Robert E. Sherwood, Joan Harrison, adapted by Philip McDonald and Michael Hogan, adapted from the novel of the same name by Daphne du Maurier. Mm. The celebrated novel. The celebrated novel. <laughs> that's literally what it says on IMDb. Celebrated <laughs> so, novel. That's true. <laughs> that's amazing. I've, we, we could all be so lucky just to have a, a book know. say that. Uh, it stars Laurence Olivier, the great Joan Fontaine. Florence Bates and Judith Anderson, among others. I forgot to say that's obviously the great Lawrence Olivia. It really should yes. have just like it's one of the best for a reason. Um, Matt, what is your history with this film? Uh, as usual, it's it's either like nothing or it's very specific the way my brain works. So this one is very specific. I Ooh. actually um, probably well, I guess it's specific, and I'm like probably it was way back in some random date. 
it must have been like sophomore year of college at Fitchburg State, and we would, uh, my roommate Jeremy and I would, we would frequent uh, Newberry Comics a lot, mm-hmm. and they, particularly when they had their like 20% off DVD or used DVD sales, that's where we'd usually pick up our Criterion collection stuff because it's always so overpriced, particularly there. Uh, and I got a Alfred Hitchcock box set that was like Notorious Men and Dangerous Women or I don't know, something like that. And Rebecca had, was on there, so we proceeded to watch all five of the films that were on there. I think it was 39 Steps, The Lady Vanishes, Rebecca, Notorious, and Spellbound. Um, oh. So that was the first time I'd seen that. So probably 2002 or 2003 oh. was the first time. Fine, it's a fine mess of films you got right mm-hmm. there in that mm-hmm. in that mm-hmm. box set. When you said Dangerous Men, I immediately thought of that terrible movie we watched <laughs> over this last summer. John S. Rad. <laughs> Dangerous Man. Yeah. My uh I will admit that my Hitchcock knowledge is woefully inadequate. I have never seen Rebecca. I haven't seen a lot of his stuff. Maybe uh just just a handful. Uh Lifeboat randomly, thirty nine steps, which remains a favorite of mine. Now this Vertigo, Psycho, and Rear Window. Uh, Rear, Rear Window's obviously great, but I um, uh, he has so many more films. Plus, not to mention the uh, Night Gallery, his TV show, whatever it's. Oh, Alfred, Alfred Hitchcock presents. Alfred Hitchcock. That Night Gallery is a different thing. Alfred Hitchcock. Presents. Rod Serling, yeah. Yes, a whole a whole whole mess of things. So I was uh very interested in seeing this one because it is obviously like oh wait a Hitchcock movie won Best Picture and you go like well yes. Mm. Yes, but Hitchcock obviously never won an Academy Award, so uh, you know clearly he wasn't actually producing it, and that's a whole issue that we will get get into. So uh, I was very curious to see what, like, certainly early before he before Hitchcock became a Hitchcock movie was like, and um, I do have to say this was uh, this was an experience, and I'm gl- I'm definitely glad we definitely glad we got to it for this, and I definitely see why you were like. Yeah, if we're doing a if we're doing a scary movie thing, Rebecca mm. should be on there. Yeah, it's a nice we're, segue. It's it's definitely a nice segue. It's like easy. It's got some psychological horror stuff going on, but it's not you know gross out exploitation, mm-hmm. et cetera. What you normally think of horror. It's just it's got this. It's got a tenseness and a, go- a gothic style to it that is very indicative of uh, a lot of Hitchcock stuff that I just I just I just absolutely love. So I'm looking forward to getting into it with you about that do you have a personal favorite hitchcock (laughs) um yes (laughs) it's sort of uh, you know it sort of changes or maybe i could do it like in in eras of hitchcock that's sort of unfair but so if i was gonna do it in eras like early hitchcock up to like up to like his move over to to hollywood i'd probably go with one you had already mentioned the 39 steps i think it's like the it's like a great blueprint for some of his other films it's, and it's just so freaking good on its own it's so much um, fun too yeah it is it's really just a nice like a romp um i would probably then go in the in the 1940s to um notorious i think notorious is one of like the best like film noir type films that's not like exactly like a film noir and it's really where he like kind of stretches his muscles in terms of like set pieces and things like that and it's just so fucking good um i just love it and then i mean like my like the film guy in me wants to say vertigo because vertigo gets better every time i've seen it um but my personal favorite alfred hitchcock film of all time is uh strangers on a train 1951 strangers on a train yes i have seen that one 
Yeah, that's. Crazy. I just I can watch that movie all the time, and I always just love every second of it. So, it's it's very good. I will, you know, uh, I I I will say something sacrilegious. I did see um, Vertigo recently. Mm. Did not like it. Mm. I just I, there is I just, it felt like it kept ending even as it was begin even as it was beginning, and it's yeah. it was so. The tone and the uh, the pacing felt very off to me. I do. I should give it another chance. It's is that the first a, time you've seen it. It was the first time I've first oh, time yeah. I've seen it. It was with uh, it was with a group of people, so it, at a at a lodge for a job I I was working and just mm-hmm. maybe not the Hitchcock is a very I think he's a he's a person to be either seen alone or with a group of people who are very dedicated to watching this movie. He's a guy you have to pay attention to because regardless of what you may think of the movie, there is so much to love in I think every shot of yep. a Hitchcock film. Yes. And we will get to that after the short break where we are going to talk about the wins and many 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 losses of <laughs> Rebecca at the 19 at the 13th Academy Awards. The recipient of the Thalberg Award is a picture maker of such impressive credentials he is long overdue in formal recognition from his fellows in the Academy. I deem it a, a personal privilege to acknowledge what theater audiences have recognized for a third of a century. When you examine the list of his films, you are jolted by the legion of absolutely top-level entertainments he has made. A record un- almost unmatched by any director practicing his magic anywhere. His first job in films was in 1920, writing subtitles for silence in England. 1925, he made his debut as a director, and he still is contributing to a body of work so distinctive that his name is passed into the language. The name, of course, is Alfred Hitchcock. From his unforgettable The Lady Vanishes through Rebecca, Lifeboat, Spellbound, Rear Window, Psycho, his briefly titled masterpieces of suspense, adventure, and humor have endeared him to film buffs as certainly as his own fey presence on the small screen have endeared him to television audiences. Ladies and gentlemen, the familiar figure of Alfred Hitchcock. Matt, how much gold did Rebecca take home at the 13th Academy Awards on February 27th, 1941? Approximately two gold. Two gold pieces. Two goldses. Two goldses, I think. Two shekels. Two shekels. In earth monies, it was two golds. Yeah, two golds. So one of those is Best Picture. We're talking about it. Went to David O. Selznick, the producer. And the other was uh, best cinematography black and white for the great George Bonds. I would I can't disagree with that one. Like yeah, oh. that's a it's, just it's beautiful. beautiful. It's a such yeah. a beautiful. I like it's really beautiful, yeah. I'm like watching watching this on my, you know, on my laptop cuz that's how I, how I was I'm like this. I just this needs to be on a screen. There's yeah. something about old, you know, black and white old-time films where they just knew how to light things, man. They were they're so good at it. Well, you had to be. Able yeah, to yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely had to be. It was very, it was very unforgiving. It's just, yeah. man, it's so gorgeous. But uh, it left a, it left a lot of loot on the table, as it were. Uh, it was nominated for eleven Academy Awards, putting it up there with some of the most nominated films in history. 
but uh yeah had the i think it, at this point has the lowest uh win to nomination ratio that we've had on uh all 60 some odd episodes of this show what else was it nominated for well, everything, basically. <laughs> uh, all right, well, yeah, let's go through the, the list here. So it was nominated for Best Actor in a Leading Role for, of course, Laurence Olivier, mm-hmm. which was, I feel like, some stiff competition. Yeah, that was some pretty stiff competition for Best Actor. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, Jimmy Stewart, Charlie Chaplin, Henry Fonda, Raymond Macy, and, and Laurence Olivier. Yeah, that's yeah, tough. That's, uh, that's, ooh, I, yeah, that's really, th- really tough. But, you know. Uh, and then to go along with that, best actress in a leading role for Joan Fontaine, who I think she lost to somebody I don't know. Uh, she lost to uh, Ginger Kitty. Rogers. Rogers, yeah. And Kitty Foyle. Uh, it yep. was it was a, a a tight race between, a, I think it was oh I think it may, it may have been Fontaine and Betty Davis, who was yeah. going for the first trifecta in history for her role. Uh, for the letter, she had previously yep. won for Dangerous and Jezebel, but Rogers kind of came out of nowhere and snatched S- it, slinked away. Just, just, just slinked away. <sighs> funny enough, her. funny enough, the first trifecta would be would actually occur that night with Walter Brennan for uh, he won his third uh, third Oscar for supporting turn in The Westerner. And nobody was excited about it. They yeah, were, it, was all, it was all just like, a, hey. uh, it was like uh, you campaigned you really well. Good. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, uh, but however, Joan Fontaine would get her get her due. Uh, Suspicion is directed by Hitchcock. Yes. Correct. Correct. He, she would win next year and becoming the only actor of any sort. To uh, have been uh, awarded a Oscar mm. from a movie that Hitchcock directed, she's the only one. Wow, that's and mad. That's, that's that's like think of the movies Hitchcock has directed. I Be know. like, really? Oh my and god! They just hated is, the guy. It, Suspicion is is it's a good, really fun movie, but it's basically Hitchcock directing like a Lifetime film in a lot of ways, like a potentially like abusive husband and this. I mean, it's it's great entertainment. Um, but compared to some of the heavy stuff he had later on, it's amazing that that's the one. <laughs> Maybe they felt bad for her, for Rebecca, and they were just like, all right. Uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, she's very good in it. She's a very good actress, but it just, yeah, that's a that's an interesting interesting choice, I guess. Carrying uh, on. Carrying on to a Best Actress in a Supporting Role for the terrifying Judith <laughs> Anderson. Oh, my oh, God. Oh, Jesus. Yes, she makes everything inside me shrivel up in all of the wrong ways. I don't know if there's a right way to shrivel up, but you know what I mean. <laughs> You're right. I what I always expect like the 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 headmistress to be basically Angela Lansbury as the teapot from Beauty and the Beast. So they're just like Mrs. Very, Potts. <laughs> yeah, Mrs. Potts. She's just like, oh, you're so uh, happy and inviting. <laughs> you're just like, oh, aren't you the best? Like, oh, no. Mrs. No. <laughs> Danvers, you're terrifying me. Please, yeah, yeah, please really stop. Just, just, stay, just stay out of the rooms, please. Yeah, please oh, don't hide behind any silk sheets anymore. It's awful. Like, you're so terrifying. <laughs> I like out of everything that, everything that this movie highlights uh, in terms of the marketing for Criterion, the, the cover choice is Mrs. Danvers behind the curtains. Nice. Like, Oh, that's like that's, that's brilliant. the real monster of the film, I guess, and that's oh yeah, she's she's fantastic. <laughs> God damn, so <laughs> just thinking about it right now, and then my blood is cold. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, the really the really the the sort of sad one in terms of his his his, his later career was the best director nominee for um, this sort of unknown guy we might be talking about a little bit tonight, Alfred Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. I feel like he's in a few movies, but I don't know, I haven't heard of him. 
nothing, definitely not prolific or anything like that. <laughs> I feel like, no, no, it wasn't best director. Yeah, see, it was best picture, and we can we can talk more about this. But it, he was his other film he made, The Air Foreign Correspondent, was also nominated in the same year. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. It was a movie he made, like, because he was like, I'm coming in Hollywood, I'm coming in hot, I'm making a couple movies, and he made Rebecca and Foreign Correspondent. I think if you're going to give the nod to one, uh, Rebecca was that kind of heavier material, mm-hmm. and more like Oscar-typical material. Um, but that's pretty interesting unto itself. But I digress. Um, we also had Best Writing um, Screenplay for you, the aforementioned uh, Robert E. Sherwood and, and Joan Harrison. Um, adapting from Daphne du, du Maurier's celebrated novel. Celebrated. It's just a fun thing to say. I think that's that's, gotta, that's, a, that's what we got to call it. Daphne du Maurier's celebrated novel. From her celebrated novel, Rebecca. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, and then I think we had some technical awards, right? Best art direction, uh, black and white for Lyle R. Wheeler. That sounds like that's an amazing name, by the way, Lyle R. Wheeler. Um, mm-hmm. Again, I think going along with the cinematography piece, um, some of the, the technical proficiency in this movie is just like everything needs to look like it's exactly in place and everything is just perfectly sort of staged and organized in this oh, yeah. film. Um, oh, you yeah. can't take that away. And also, but, if there's an award for location scout, which mm. maybe there should be, like, they they nailed that. That is a beautiful, beautiful castle thing that they are filming in. I don't know if it's a set or not, but they make it. They make me believe that it's a castle, so I'm going to say kudos to you. Well, I'm going to I'm going to surprise you, Steve. The Mandalay is actually a really, really elaborate miniature. Oh, I know. But, I mean, that's awesome. Outside, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what I mean. It's, it's a movie from 1940, and the miniature still fools me and you. I mean, I watched it and I was like, I don't remember. And then I looked it up and I was like, Oh my god, yeah. like. I was that like, yeah, I was nuts. like, can I go here? Like, it's turned into a hotel, right? <laughs> I want to go to this place. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, it's stand true. behind drapes, just it like, is, it is, yeah, yeah, just <laughs> leering at people. Steve, <laughs> <laughs> you see that open window over there? <laughs> It'd be so easy, Steve. Um, where are we? Best, uh, best film editing for Hal C. Hearn. I feel like some of these technical awards, and maybe, maybe I'm off on this, but I feel like sometimes. You know, the editing and the cinematography and things like that, they go together so, in, like, explicitly that it, it feels weird when one will win and, and the other won't. You know so, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, so, it, they're it, sort it, of, like, sister things, and I'm always interested in that. Although I will say the cinematography in this film impresses me more than the editing. Although Agreed. I guess you're not supposed to see the... You know, you're really not supposed to see the editing in a lot of ways. Um, it's supposed to sort of be... No, you feel it. You feel um, the editing. That. Um, you can't see what I'm doing, but I'm... I'm bobbing and stabbing. He's, he's, he's jiving. He's jiving. I am jiving a little bit, yeah. And then the final two awards were Best Effects, Special Effects for Jack Cosgrove, Photographic, and Arthur John's Sound, which I think that's <laughs> yeah. great. It's so, like, I love it. I love this. Something about old Hollywood, and we can talk about this plenty, but something about old Hollywood, I just it just makes me feel all warm and fuzzy. And then I believe the last one was, was it Best Music Original yeah. Score for Original Franz Score. Waxman? <laughs> which uh, I, I do have to say, the sc- you know what? I'm glad it was nominated, sure, because, A, first of all, every movie gets nominated back then. There's so many yeah. nominations for, for music or score. Fire them at you. Uh, also, uh, this score started to grade on me because it never goes away. It's just constant. Yeah, it's, it's just like, can I just have a moment to breathe, please? It's, yeah, it's, 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 decent. it's decent, but it's very overbearing. It's overbearing, it is, yeah. so I'm glad, it, I'm glad it actually did not win. So, uh, yes. Two wins, eleven nominations for Rebecca. Ah, it was a that was just 
Very, very interesting. 1941 was the first year of sealed envelopes because people had been spying on them before, and the accounting house of PricewaterhouseCoopers, yes, I know that from memory, uh, finally <laughs> came in and was like, no, we're going to handle this stuff. You cannot look at this stuff, this, this shit. And, yeah, and we haven't had any malfunctions with the envelopes since then. Nope. Not not a one, not in uh, not in many many years. Just like we never had any problems with with nope. with uh, with um, envelopes being maybe misread or something. <laughs> you know, nothing like nothing of the sort. <laughs> uh, oh, levity. old old time Hollywood. It's it's it's, it's great. <laughs> what films did Rebecca have to defeat in February of 1941 to claim victory at the Oscars? Uh, um. All of them. <laughs> there's, 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 there's a lot. We already so sort of many touched movies. on, and it's 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 like a great mix of um, movies I have seen and movies I have not seen, and then certainly a few that I had never heard of. So hmm. I'll do the ones I had seen. Uh, so we we already mentioned. Okay, I think I think I, I think I. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep telling. Gonna, I, got, oh, yeah, yeah, I, got, I got I got a list. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna figure out which ones he's seen. I'm just gonna lie to screw you over. Ah, oh, damn it. I'll do it too. I know. All right, just, well, just hit me. Good. Hit me. So the ones I have seen, uh, foreign correspondent. I guess I already screwed the pooch on that one. Yep. Uh, the Grapes of Wrath, certainly. Um, John Ford, best director. John Ford, yeah. Uh, the The Philadelphia Story, which, like Rebecca, is coming out on Criterion Blu-ray in maybe a couple weeks or like a month or something. Okay. It's I great, you know it's just a personal personal story, the Philadelphia Story. Mm. Uh-huh, <laughs> uh-huh. Uh huh. Uh Enjoy the movie. I was in a stage production of the Philadelphia Story wow. once upon a time. I played the character not seen in the movie, Alexander Sandy Lord, and I do have to say, I was spectacular. Mom, <laughs> I, I know you're listening. You can tell everybody how good I was. Medway players, how you doing? <laughs> but great, great movie. Um, what's uh, Jimmy Stewart uh, finally received his best actor after I think, yeah. four or five nominations for this movie when he really should have won for so many others. They were like, yeah, we'll give it to you. Sure. Okay. Just have it. I guess. Uh, who are you? Yeah. Who are you? But like America's best person. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> what you uh, ever do for us? I, don't, I don't know what I am. I'm just, <laughs> I just want to get the award. <laughs> my, my Jimmy Stewart is basically the, it's the faux Jimmy Stewart in the Simpsons episode where Bart is watching for the, uh, Margo, there's a, a sinister looking kid. He's looking at me through the window. <laughs> that's it. That's all I can say in Jimmy Stewart. But I, I do that one pretty well, I think. <laughs> Nailed it. And then the, uh, let's see, the other two films I had seen were The, the Letter, which we, we spoke about um briefly just about the betty davis thing and then just like such a delightful ridiculous movie that like salience nowadays but charlie chaplin's the great dictator which is just like such an insane film i can't even really get into how insane that movie is it's it's, um, it's well we, i can i certainly could yeah. <laughs> on another show on another show sir on it another is, show it is a damn good film so those are the ones i had seen okay uh you know i had not uh, i did not say the letter I didn't. I didn't think you'd seen that, but I. I got it. I got the other. I got the other. Uh, the other one. So, excellent. Kudos, kudos to me. Great dictator. Uh, first time one person had been nominated for actor, director, and writer. The great Charles Chaplin. Fun fact. Uh, everyone thinks that you know. Oh, like hey, you know, Charlie Chaplin made the great dictator because Hitler kind of bore a resemblance to him. Turns mm. out, Hitler was a big fan of Charlie Chaplin. Right. <laughs> 
He loved his character in the ch- in the Tramp, and so gave himself that mustache. When originally he had the handlebar mustache, which would have been great if he had had that still, because a hilarious, and b we wouldn't have to deal with handlebar mustaches ever again. That's true. That's a really good point. It would have been. It would have. It would have been like, oh, worth it? Maybe not. But so okay, okay, very nice. And um, the other the other nomin the other no- nominees for best picture were all this and Heaven Two. Yep. The aforementioned Kitty Foyle, The Long vo- Voyage Home, and Our Town. Woo! Well done. I don't actually know the music to Our Town. So. Yeah, it's not, a, it's not a musical. I was just, I was oh, like, is it? Oh, oh, no, wait. What am I thinking of? Yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Uh, briefly, what films in 1940 were uh, not nominated that were of note? <laughs> um, I had a few that came up. Um, Walt Disney's Pinocchio. Well, it's not Walt Disney's, but, you know, Disney's Pinocchio, I guess yeah. is what I mean to say. Uh, I love that movie. Um, the uh, uh, really, really funny His Girl Friday with Cary Grant and Rosalind Russell. Yeah. Just, just an excellent, excellent movie. Um, oh, I, didn't didn't Fantasia come out that year, too? Fantasia also came out that okay, year. Okay, yeah. so so Fantasia, that's that's pretty damn memorable, I would say. I feel like there was something I really, that was really like personal to me. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So The Great McGinty also came out in 1940. The Great McGinty is directed by a guy named Preston Sturges. Preston Sturges is my all-time – he's my favorite director of all time, hands down. Wow. Um, he, yeah, he didn't make a ton of movies. Um, the Great McGinty uh, – I'm going to draw blanks now. The Palm Beach Story, Sullivan's Travels, mostly comedies, really satirical. Steve, you would love some of these flicks. Love, love, love them. They're just like – such a good time, such a good time. So, yeah, I love the Great McGinty. I can't think of the other one he did though. It's gonna make me angry. And then the Mark of Zorro was the other one I saw. The other one I had up there, the Mark of Zorro, which is just a great like piece of just ridiculous entertainment. Lots of sword fighting. Mm-hmm. Uh, can't, Those are the ones so I had. can't go wrong with that. Um, most of the films didn't ring any bells to me, so I just had down Pinocchio and Fantasia as well. Those are Fantasia is wonderful. Remains it to is, this yeah. day. Remains to day. So we are going to take a short break. Matt's going to find out what that other movie he was thinking about is and probably tell us in the, in the next section. And when we come back, we're finally going to discuss Rebecca. Last night, I dreamt I went to Mandeville again. Seemed to me I stood by the iron gate leading to the drive. And for a while, I could not enter, for the way was barred for me. Then, like all dreams, I was possessed of a sudden with supernatural powers and passed like a spirit through the barrier before me. The drive wound away in front of me, twisting and turning as it has always done. But as I advanced, I was aware that a change had come upon me. Nature had come into her own again, and little by little had encroached upon the drive with long, tenacious fingers. On and on wound the full thread that had once been our drive. And finally, there was Mandeville. Mandeville, secretive and silent. Time could not mar the perfect symmetry of those walls. Moonlight can play odd tricks upon the fancy. And suddenly it seemed to me that light came from the window. And then a cloud came upon the moon and hovered an instant like a dark hand before a face. The illusion went with it. I looked upon a desolate shell, a 
no whisper of the past about its staring walls. We can never go back to Manderley again. That much is certain. But sometimes, in my dreams, I do go back. What is the plot to Rebecca for those who have not seen the film Rebecca? This one's this one's pretty tight, IMDb here. Did a nice job. Um, get you in, but not too much info. It says a self-conscious bride is tormented by the memory of her husband's dead first wife. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Add that in post. Boop, boop, yep. boop. Yeah, uh, that, um, how accurate do you think that captures this film? I mean, it's, there's a lot of other things going on, but I think that that's enough to sort of get you into it, and that's sort of like the meat of the mystery angle, maybe. I mean, you could put a ton of information. There's a, a lot of like density to the things that happen, but um, I don't know. It's, it certainly seems like enough information for me. And it certainly helps fit into the, um, I would say, spooky, gothic, October theme that we have going on here. Because um, yeah. memories are like ghosts. They can linger and they can haunt you for all time, whether they're good memories or bad memories. And uh, kudos to the uh, movie for playing it tight to the vest about whether the memories are good or the memories are bad. By all mm -hmm. accounts, they're good, but some may not say so. It's all a different point of view. So, mm -hmm. the film begins in Monte Carlo, where unnamed woman, because this is a Hitchcock movie, so of course she's unnamed. I think he'd rather have all of his, his female... Uh, characters unnamed that's just the way he rolls is with uh, she's with her mistress her lady they meet Aunt Laurence Olivier they fall in love whirl and romance get married go back she continues she is haunted by the memory of a woman named Rebecca her titular ca character never seen on film and I do have to say Matt uh, agree disagree you can cut out the first 30 minutes of this film and you would have the same movie Agree. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 at least twenty minutes too long, and I think that would be the place to cut it. I would yes. say. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I was I was somebody. I forget. I think it was maybe the whoever wrote Sunset Boulevard or said like you know the problem with movies these days is that they take too long to get to the point, to <laughs> like even just start the movie, and mm -hmm. it's this it's very well shot, and you have Olivier being like brooding and like dark and mysterious, and like that's that's what we want Lawrence Olivier to be. But then every bit of information we receive from the first half is either unimportant or is just simply repeated throughout yeah. throughout throughout the time at Manderley. And I thought this movie is already feeling too long, and it mm. hasn't even really started yet. Now, once it gets to Manderley, I love the hour-long sequence that we have in this beautiful gothic prison shall we mm -hmm. shall we say it's uh it is a testament to hitchcock's vision his use of lighting uh, directing everything everything about it is great and i love it but the first half of it drags it down and the second and the last no the first sorry the first quarter of it drags down middle half is great last quarter comes very close because like uh like with a lot of hitchcock movies i think he feels the need to really explain things to you uh, which to me drags it down, and like once it becomes a oh, is he gonna get away with it or not kind of thing, and especially the way they resolve this movie by it, her being 
a she accidentally kills herself and she was had cancer which admit did not see coming i was like oh no. <laughs> every time i do that i shouldn't laugh at cancer but it's such like an overused <laughs> thing nowadays like oh you know, yeah like like back at like cancer for some reason cancer is one of those things that i just feel like people in the past didn't get but i think they just got it all the time we just didn't yeah. notice and they just suddenly died yeah and yeah. i know that sounds terrible but i'm like oh cancer like that was a plot point back in 40s what i know no it's, it's, it did surprise me as well yeah That's yeah interesting. like huh all right but all right but kudos to you movie for making us think it was one thing yeah it also uh th- that that part and we're jumping all over the place and made me appreciate the value of good police work and knowing exactly what a message means as opposed to inferring your own meaning on it it's very it's very key and uh good job for hitchcock for that um so the it stars Lawrence Olivier and uh, Joan Fontaine. Uh I do I do like them together. What do you think of their of their chemistry together? How do you how do you how do you feel? I I like it. I mean it it's sort of interesting because the movie um doesn't always like posit the, like we're, the movie doesn't always feel sure of their chemistry as as characters and I feel like that's accurate to how they're they're both sort of feeling throughout the film. So I feel like they they sort of react very uh, accurately to to what's going on, and I, I think it sort of works really well. I think it's it's easy to sort of look at um, Joan Fontaine's character and just be like, oh, she's gonna be really grating, just like in the beginning. You're like, this is gonna be just like, oh my god, everything's so beautiful. But I'm always so taken back by her sort of vulnerability and the position she's in. And I just I feel really bad for. Her. I also just like have a like schoolboy crush on Joan Fontaine. She's just like so impossibly gorgeous. Um, so I always just That's like her. I always just like her a lot, and I feel for her. Um, and with Olivier, I'm just like I don't know about you, Buster. I have no idea what you're up to at any moment, and you, I don't trust you. And I was like, nah, all right, I can accept that you're not as bad as I thought you were, but still don't know if you're good enough for Joan. It makes me it makes me very upset. I will um, fight you, Lawrence Olivier. I think they work. I think like I think the I think the moments where they're supposed to sort of connect, they they feel like they work pretty well. Um, I think the moments where they're supposed to feel at odds with each other, you sort of feel it, and I think that that's also a testament to their chemistry. I think you also we oftentimes think of chemistry between actors as the scenes where they're really like connecting, but sometimes when they disconnect and you feel their disconnect, that's because of their chemistry, right? That's because of the buildup yeah. of their chemistry. So I would I would say a it's lot. pretty good. Yeah, I, th- I think it is. It is great. Olivier, uh, he is. I th- he's always so great at these roles. This sort of like awkward, kind of emotionally scarred, got some mm. demons mm-hmm. just lurking beneath the surface. But he's so smooth that yeah, he's able to get. He's able to barely contain it. And I, but I love the moments when it just like reaches. It like it rears its head. Yeah, like when uh, the second Mrs. De Winter arrives in the first mrs de winter's dress and he just like he's like he's losing it you're like oh my god like what is what is going on like there's something wrong with this guy i don't know yeah. what it is he like he has feelings he had feelings for this this woman but i'm not entirely sure what those feelings are and olivier mm-hmm. is uh he's a great actor and hitchcock is a great director for him mm-hmm. that he can uh you can he can play he can play that close to the vest without tipping his hand mm-hmm. as to what his true feelings and motivations are so when in the uh the shack by the sea he reveals that like 
Yeah, I hated Rebecca. She was That's a great scene, such a good scene. The worst. His like, I was like, like Maxim, you're killing me <laughs> here. Like he, oh, he, no. just, he has this be- long, this beautiful monologue recounting his time with Rebecca together, and you're like, oh my god, you poor man. It's like, let, yeah. me, let me pet you. Yeah, I'm gonna stroke <laughs> that beautiful hair. I want to hold you. Um, uh, but it's, uh, it's, it's it's funny that you mentioned chemistry too, because I remember reading uh, in several sources that Lawrence Olivier really wanted his current either wife or girlfriend, Vivian Lee, to be the star of the film alongside him. And um, for some reason, it wasn't wasn't possible. I don't know if it was Oselznik or Hitchcock or whatever, and they cast Joan Fontaine. And Lawrence Olivier just was just gave her the business all the time because he was so mad about that selection and so hitchcock saw that and being a fucking sociopath he was like all right i'll i'll use this and he told all the actors to sort of act like they didn't like joan fontaine so her feelings of like disconnection and feeling alone and isolated are because the no one would hang out with her on set they were just like leaving her and this was one of her first big big movies i think it is her first big movie so she was like i want everyone to be my friend and everyone was like no and hitchcock was like <laughs> Yes, very good. <laughs> Classic Hitch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if if Hitchcock was still alive, much like William Friedkin, and I think it was Peter Bogdanovich, I would have another pistol with one round ready for him. Just, just picture you like a with like a bandolier, not of bullets, oh, yeah. but of just like guns. Yeah, just yeah they're individually bullets. signed. I think each one is a different color. Oh yeah. Oh, wait, are, did we did we determine were they were they derringers or were they actual like six shooters? I think they were like little thirty eight snub noses. Okay, <laughs> I'm sorry, they are thirty eight snub noses they because they're real things, of course. <laughs> of course, of course, yes. But now, now now you have to go through the long process of engraving another one. Yes, for the dead Hitchcock. I'll do it. I, I'll do I, it. I, I, psh, you should go. That should be your Halloween costume, just like the enraged Matthew Marchetti. Just revolvers. <laughs> Just revolvers, yes. Uh, all right. Uh, so yeah, but there, there are, I think, at least three other characters. Uh, two of them are, one of them isn't seen, one of them is a building, and the third is probably insane. So we'll talk <laughs> about the third one first. Mrs. Danvers. Yeah. Judith Anderson, Academy Award nominee. Uh, to, at the end of it, no, I was terrified, but I was also, what in God's name is Mrs. Danvers's deal with, uh, not just with throughout the entire thing? I feel like there is a scene or a line of dialogue that is missing that would ex- mm. help explain Danvers better. How I, do you feel about that? I I would say that knowing a little bit about um, Daphne du Maurier and her writing, that there probably isn't anything missing. It's probably that she's intentionally left it out to leave it up to the audience's sort of own, um, you know, conclusions. Um, to me, well, a couple things about, about Judith Anderson. I mean, she she is so striking in this film because of her, you know, sort of her career before this film in, in silent films and things like that. And I think it, it sort of comes across that way and it can feel a little like, out of place maybe at first, particularly compared to Joan Fontaine, but then you realize it's it's supposed to. And her sort of screen presence actually works in her favor because she seems so different than the other characters. That being said, in my head, it she she sort of looks at Rebecca as this sort of this woman she was never allowed to be in life. She was always maybe her life was always was maybe very much more tied down into into servitude and things like that. I think a job that she sort of relishes in some respects, but I think 
there's aspects of it that she feels like I want I want to be this person, right? She always threw the best parties. She knew everybody. She had always the nicest clothes. Look at all these clothes. But in reality, it, she she wants those things. She wanted those things in her life. So in some ways, Rebecca dying is like the end of that little dream period for her. And when this new woman comes in who's the complete antithesis of Rebecca, she immediately looks at her as um, like an interloper. Like she's the enemy at this point. I don't know if that seems fair, but that's sort of where I always – look at mrs that's that's fair but the it it does remain is there does the text provided support that theory and i actually i I actually i actually do think that is a legitimate reading Mm -hmm. reading of that but you know a lot of times i think we may also be inclined to write our own backstories into characters even Mm -hmm. you know because we've like really like i really like mrs danvers as a um as an as an antagonist, as sort of like oh, she's great. This, this terrifying character. She you know, honestly, she reminds me of the woman in the painting from the new It movie. You know that she's got oh, that very it, severe. Yes, she definitely face. does. I was like, oh, geez, this she's just unsettling to a T, and definitely a represent representation of the of the of the older the older establishment, right there. But I, it seems like she is almost taken on being rebecca's mother mm-hmm. and i because th- and i'm still not entirely sure why she's so chummy chummy with this favel guy the the person rebecca's having an affair with or yeah the- Shere Sh- Sh- khan i just call him Shere khan because that's the guy who did the voice for Shere khan in the jungle no. <laughs> so, yeah no yeah george sanders, yeah, george sanders. <laughs> sorry i just blow your mind i'm sorry what <laughs> george george sanders what? is the voice of Shere khan oh my yeah. god yeah, He's got the best. He's got the best voice. I I don't. I can't. I gotta. I gotta. I gotta. I, cancel, I gotta cancel the podcast now, man. I'm, t- <laughs> so, right. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. All right. Yeah, so, but basically, what it comes down to is that when Danver, you know, so Danvers and Shere Khan, so weird. When they're when they're when they're all like chummy chummy, I kind of felt like this is. This do, there is something like they're in on something. I because I, I I got the feeling Rebecca was some sort of con artist, just basically scamming people. Like I didn't I didn't quite understand what the deal what everyone's deal was, and that yeah. took me out of the film a little bit. Yeah. Uh, for that. No, well, I, rather I understood uh, Favel's you know, Sheer Khan's stuff plenty. It was just like <laughs> you know, just banging a hot a hot lady, and yes, so that's, that that's and who doesn't. Who doesn't love doing that? But doesn't want to do that. I mean, right? yeah. But it was, but Rebecca just seemed her the character they present they present or they describe her as because she's not there to defend herself. Just I, uh, I didn't like her first of all. She just seemed like oh she's awful. I, oh she's just I the mean worst. from what we from what we've heard, but just sort right. of unfair. But yeah, she's awful. Yeah, she's awful, but she's also great. She's great at one, the greatest one. So it's nice. It's nice actually hearing two sides of this um of of this thing like the the public yeah. the public side that she presents where she's yep. the best and then also yeah she was just a terror to live with and you know nobody should be forced into that no. it's uh it's very fascinating next character oh well no we well we talked about well, we just, we just talked about Rebecca uh and how she just sort of looms over everything uh mm-hmm. i mentioned i mentioned that go- that memories can haunt you as well as ghosts and this is uh, this is as close to a supernatural horror film that uh, I think Hitchcock will make until probably The Birds, and even then, The Birds, those are literal birds destroying yeah. destroying everything. But it is a very 
Hitchcock's love Hitchcock's love loves messing with his uh, his people just mm-hmm. constantly. I I like on set as you noted, and also mm-hmm. just in the the stories he chooses to tell. There are yeah. they are people who are ripped from whatever life they live and are suddenly things are turned upside down. Mm-hmm. There are you know they break their legs. They go to a motel. Something awful. Something awful happens whenever whenever anything changes i think yeah but especially when they leave and um and they can also affect things after they've gone so uh what is what is hitchcock trying what is what does rebecca kind of represent here in the in the film is it more than just the this dead wife that that lingers or is there something there's something something else to it um no, I'm I'm quite sure there's there's something else to it. I think it's the the sort of just the the sort of um hook about you know her being haunted by this memory is very just disturbing and very like psychologically interesting. Um I think that I think that aspect of the film and then the character of Rebecca and and sort of her backstory is sort of the most the most interesting and maybe the the part of the film that feels sort of the edgiest like her sort of backstory i mean it seems like yeah it seems like she's a con artist like she she sleeps around right she's having these illegitimate children and she doesn't seem to care and i'm gonna, I'm gonna go out on a limb with another mrs danvers theory but i think the reason she has this connection to uh the favel characters because she was sort of complicit in what rebecca and, and favel were doing which is enough and she sort of likes that aspect because she's now involved in Rebecca's life even mm-hmm. more so in sort of a secretive aspect of Rebecca's life. Mm-hmm. But I also think that there's something um, that she, Mrs. Danvers may be receiving some sort of um, psychosexual gratification from sort of knowing this information and knowing what Rebecca is doing. Again, um, you know, being a, a woman who's sort of trapped in this place, um, this sort of almost androgynous woman who's trapped in this place. That's just to go back to, to Mrs. Danvers. No, 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 again, no, no. that's fine, that's fine. I might be on a limb with her, but I just no, feel like I, there's um, something sexual going on there. Yeah, in in read in, in in reading about the uh the celebrated novel by uh Daphne du Maurier <laughs> for, titled Rebecca, apparently there may have been a hint of some lesbian overtones between the two characters. Yeah. So I was fomenting an idea uh because I think Hitchcock is very interested in the how women fit into society so mm-hmm. much. I think right here we have Rebecca. On she is displayed as the most perfect wife you could ever met. Throws the best parties, best food, beautiful, loving. She's the best. That's her. That's her public face. Her her personal face is she's conniving. She's despicable. She's terror. I could. You you understand why Maxim would want to marry someone like Joan Fontaine because she is exactly the opposite. She is unrefined. Her public, she has no sense of decor or uh, real like upbringing, breeding. I suppose they would call. Um, uh, so that's like a disaster. But she is personally, she just actually, for a 1940s man, she is probably the best thing. She's demure. She's quiet. She, you know, fights back a little, but not uh, you know not too much. Is not too mm-hmm. o- not too overbearing. Her scene when she finally declares, "I am Mrs. De Winter." I'm like, "Yeah, girl, you yeah, you get you, it, girl. You, you get something." Um, <laughs> is there any? What is so? 
what what do you think Hitch thinks of women? Uh, <laughs> Should we even answer that? No, not not very much, I would say. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, he's got a really kind of sort of contentious relationship with women, both uh, on screen and off screen. Um, I think films were a way, in a lot of you know, in a lot of different things, but I think his films were a way for him to sort of deal with some of these issues i mean uh you know a, a first year psychology student would tell you it's like mommy issues or something like that but i think it's i think it's deeper than that i think he wants to sort of um i don't know sort of pick apart what makes women work in different settings and i think he enjoys sort of the you had sort of said this in just in general with all of his characters but i think he sort of likes sort of dangling them above the fire so to speak and seeing what they'll do. I think he likes to do that with every character, um, but no more so than with his female characters. Um, I don't know, man. It's <laughs> it's a dark rabbit hole with Alfred Hitchcock and, and the ladies. Um, like, really dark. <laughs> right. Um, but, yeah, I just think he likes to sort of put them in these in these situations. This, this movie particularly is really interesting because a lot of people always assume, I think, Alfred Hitchcock wrote a lot of his movies, and he didn't. A lot of them are actually adaptations of novels, some celebrated, some not. Um, so he's dealing with source material that he doesn't alter all that much. And I think a lot of times the sort of female thing gets put upon him. Yes, he's choosing he's choosing projects, from, you know, particularly when he gets really big. But um, like like the, the, the Joan Fontaine character in the book um, is, is pretty much exactly the same. Um, and likewise with a lot of his films that were adapted from things. So it's it's weird to know like where where Hitchcock sort of comes in with that stuff, or if it's just not sort of patriarchal stuff in the eras he's he's making films. Uh, you know what I'm saying when I say that? I do. Like it's, I do. Yeah. It's, 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 it's confusing. It can be really like confusing to figure it all out or to make sense of it all. I guess. I just said nothing for six minutes, by the way. <laughs> no, you said no. You no. You said a lot. Of, no, you said a lot. It is. It is. It, it is important to remember that Hitchcock didn't doesn't. He may not be the strongest writer, but mm-hmm. when you're a director, that's you know you're you're meant to tell you're meant to tell the story. You aren't meant to right. like necessarily create the story out of out of thin air. And you know he does a great job with so many of his his adaptations. They're just uh, they're just all phenomenal because he brings that sense of motion and that keen director's eye to them. He is saddled with a lot of the stuff that comes with with the books, and perhaps he is he just gravitates towards those books in general maybe as an unconscious thing mm. uh, that any uh you know maybe second year psychology student could better analyze and mm-hmm. i'm sure we could <laughs> lord knows two uh two guys talking about what hitchcock thinks of women's is hey. a sure recipe for disaster <laughs> we'll figure it out <laughs> we'll 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 get to the bottom of this thing and we'll solve sexism definitely um how does the last half feel to you um, <laughs> it feels like, um, the finale of, like, a murder mystery TV show, right? We have to sort of unravel everything and f- and figure it all out. And it's, once the sort of, the curtain is pulled up a little bit, or we see behind the curtain a little bit, things sort of lose their allure. Um, I think, you know, the, the, the sort of focus changes in the end. 
too much to the Maxim character, where you know we're mm-hmm. maybe more concerned about what's going to happen to him. And then the Joan Fontaine character, um, she sort of gets thrown to the side a little bit more, and, and as does Mrs. Danvers. And I sort of feel like that's just the nature of the, of the story. We need to wrap things up, and they sort of set it up this way, so we have to figure it out. But it all just feels a little more procedural than everything that came before it. Um, very much like the opening, you know, whatever you said, half hour or so. That feels very much like old Hollywood. We need to set everything up. Everyone needs these. You need to see all the romance and how it unfolds and everything. And, and you're just like, but no, we don't. We don't. And we also don't need to be told all the like intimate details of this investigation. I mean, not that it isn't interesting to a degree. It is interesting trying no, to every, watch every, them, Everything is interesting. Them it's, deal it's... with it. But it also feels very like, we know where this is going. We know where this is going. Except for a few you know, cancer-related shenanigans that pop up. <laughs> um, for the most part, it sort of just feels a little, like, rote, I guess. Um, yeah, I it's, it, it, it feels like an NCIS episode or or, or, the, or the scene in the Poirot mystery where they're like, okay, I'm glad I brought you all here. Now yeah, I'm par- going to explain what you just saw. Right, the parlor scene, in, yeah. Yeah, the parlor scene in, in, in vast detail. Uh, it's... The Manderlay stuff is so good that it brings the movie up. Yes. And uh, what I love about that is that there is this, it's so uneasy in this way you can't put your finger on. Mm. And the the, yeah. the the final bookend, the final, the parlor scene, as it were, is tense in its own way because you're like, oh, shit, like, how, like, how is he going to get out of this one? Because for once, it seems like the cops are actually doing their jobs. And they're gonna, <laughs> I know. They're, and they're really like, good, wait, you're going to arrest a rich person? What? <laughs> what? <laughs> Funny times, really. Um, but it's it, but it's tense in a very different way. And you're right. I've uh, you you mentioned that it takes the uh, focus off Rebecca. Yeah. Uh, not Rebecca. Ugh, the second Mrs. De Winter. Joan Fontaine. Why don't they name them? Uh, that it be that you're like, but I want to know what happened. I really want to know how she's feeling through right. all of this. Like, like her, she's the character. Like Maxim's great. Olivia is great. Olivia has some like banner moments. She's just awesome. But it's this doesn't feel like it's his story, and you're yeah. you're you're robbing that. Now I guess that is how the book went, and that is how Salznick wanted it to go. I think you know he and. Um, he and Hitch fought so much that Hitchcock was like, I am not shooting more than I have to. Yep. So if anyone wants to cut it, they're going to basically have to cut it the way I want it to. So suck on that. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, uh, it, uh, what, uh, what also, what also stings is that in the book, apparently Maxim actually does kill Rebecca, but they had to change that because the production code said that a uh, husband or wife cannot kill a husband or a wife and uh because that doesn't happen in America or something sanctity like that. Sanctity of marriage. The sa- yes, the sanctity of marriage. Um so would and would the story have been better served if Maxim had in fact killed her? Would it have up the stakes a bit more? I think that it would. It would just have to it'd be interesting to know when like when that moment was revealed. If it was revealed at the right spot, then it, I think it would up the stakes and it would be interesting, but if it was revealed in the wrong spot, it would almost feel like one twist too many or one, you know, you know what I mean? One, one turn too many or something like that. And I, I just don't know if it um, would really work. I sort of, it sort of feels like in the film, it sort of feels like everything's okay. And then we get a little bit of, you know, a little more tragedy at the end. 
um, with the house and everything like that. But it felt a little Hollywood to me in that moment that everything sort of works out. And you're like, really? Yeah, After all that? It all it, works it, out. It, it just worked out for, you know, from a very deus ex machina thing. Like, oh, no, it was cancer. You totally misinterpreted this letter incorrectly. Like, oh, yeah. shit, I did, didn't I? Right. <laughs> it, 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 it it wound down like it was a br- like a b- brilliant finale with the Manderley burning. Must have been yeah. so sad burning that that tiny know, tiny little beautiful. model. It's so it's so beautiful. Um, but ultimately it it ends. Uh, it has such a strong middle. A str- it's it's weird to say it has a strong second act, just because I think second acts are very derided. Or, You're right. Yeah. Or, or usually <laughs> the worst, but like yeah. the second act in this movie is top-notch just all sorts of creepiness with great acting great technical proficiencies across the board yep. and the the, la- the last uh the last 30 minutes is so mundane and rote that i i it really ruins it for me uh ultimately um do you have any other thoughts on rebecca yeah i would just say that i think i, I do think the ending can be a little disappointing but if you sort of if you if you end the movie and then you sort of loop it to the opening scene, which is Joan Fontaine talking about dreaming of going to Manderley and seeing it all sort of desiccated and falling apart, it sort of makes. I know you're you're, you're sort of re-editing the movie in your mind, but if you sort of remember back to that scene at the very end, I think it actually ends more powerfully. Sort of knowing there's this, you know, she she dreams of this place sort of after it's already been destroyed, and it feels a little more haunted like that's the moment when the movie sort of could potentially actually become like this haunted house movie this ghost story when the house actually becomes like a really classic gothic haunted house and it feels even more tragic that the character of manderley of the house we see it so destroyed in the beginning and so shattered in the beginning um and then we sort of watch it you know in its prime and then we actually see the the moment when it is destroyed I, i think I like the beginning. I like the opening of the movie very much, like the very opening monologue. I think it's really creepy, and it really is off-putting and interesting. Um, but I almost feel like some aspect of it would be better served at the end. Maybe just her repeat rep- repetition of the lines. Last night I, I dreamt of Manderley again, or something like that. Just to, and then the credits roll as if we sort of know um, the like sort of like spell of the house and of Rebecca's memory will never leave her. Um, that's a moment where I just would have something maybe a little more artistic. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's it just does. sort of what I'd, something like that would make it make it just really ooh, like it's like oh man, like that's creepy, and yep. it would be easy pl- easy to get away with. You wouldn't have to worry about getting away with anything in terms of the censors and the MPA and things like that, right. the Hays Code and things like that. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. I, I think I, I think you can make it more artistic. You know how? By just having Mrs. Danvers walking the smoldering ruins. Oh yeah, a for always. Ruin. Yeah, that would be that would be something. Oh God, Ooh. I want to see that now. Oh God, <laughs> I want to know. Ah, I want to know more about her. God damn. I know. I know. Ah, so we come to it at last. Matt, did Alfred Hitchcock's Rebecca deserve to win Best Picture? I don't know, man. It's it, it's a tough one. I'm I'm just looking at you know some of the other films that year, and I would say. My biggest, my biggest, I guess, overall issue with Rebecca, it's also the thing I sort of like about it in some ways, is that it's it's very old Hollywood. It can feel, because it's a Hitchcock film, it could feel like 
it should be more modern. But 1940 is not far removed from, you know, you know, filmmakers are still working on silent films in, in the late 30s. I mean, Chaplin did Modern Times in 1936. Um, so there's still some elements of, there's a plenty of elements of Rebecca that feel very old Hollywood, which I think is great because there's such like a warmth and character to old Hollywood films and the sort of sort of familiar familiarity we feel in watching those types of movies is great but i think it butts heads too much with some of the psychological stuff some of the some of the darker stuff in the film that i think it 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 just contrasts too much for me i mean rebecca's i i i was really excited to watch this movie again cuz i had actually only seen it once before um that time i had discussed earlier right and i i remember thinking like this felt a little like uh lesser hitchcock in a way um, but I also think at the time I had read someone saying that, so I sort of went in with that expectation. So it was nice to rewatch it, not thinking that at all. Um, but I still sort of feel that way a little bit, I guess. Um, so I, I don't, I don't know that, I don't know that it did. But I'm, as I'm looking at the other films in the lineup that year, I don't know what I would in my head. I'm trying to like replace it with something, and I, I don't know that I can do it like firmly enough at this point. That would be a subject for another 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 podcast, but okay. I, I guess a hesitant no, <laughs> which, okay. is, which is about as white privilegey as I'm gonna get right now. That is you know. so so privileged. I'm gonna no, I'm gonna give it a firm no. Like okay, nope. I I don't think this deserved to win. I think it's an hour worth of a great movie, bookended by a ha- half hour on each end of either irrelevant extraneous stuff or just. Sure, average, uh, you know, parlor scenes uh, there at the end. I, I, there are some great Hitchcockian moments. Uh, almost all of them are exclusively in the Manderley section. I just, mm-hmm. I am so in love with the lighting, like every frame of painting. Yeah. In that, in that, in those sequences, they're just, uh, just the light is just, I am in awe of it. It's gorgeous yeah, and breathtaking. Stupid, yeah. uh, the acting, acting is great. Olivia is great. Fontaine's great. I just it um it maybe it worked at the time as a psychological drama and we do have to view we have to view things both here where we are now in 2017 and maybe mm-hmm. where they were then in 1940 mm-hmm. and yeah this would have been like very like oh my god did you see Rebecca it was yeah like so yeah, like tell. I've never seen anything like this like I see things like this I think literally every night on television like they're just like people just being fucked up towards one another and it's it's become very just run-of-the-mill at this point uh that maybe we maybe i can't fully appreciate how impressive it was back then but still even from a just a filmmaking standpoint i feel as though it is only about half a good movie half a great movie and the other halves just doesn't it never really click so uh, I would go with uh, Grapes of Wrath or even The Great Dictator for Best Picture this year. Uh, Lord no, I mean, I don't think John Ford needs any more, like, he doesn't need <laughs> any more ego boosting. He was on a tear yeah. in the 30s and 40s. Um, but Grapes of Wrath is just a, uh, a, a wonderful film that I think um, has stood the test of time much better. Uh, I do have to, I do, we do have one, I do have one question. It's kind of, it's kind of for the end. It's from uh, Twitter, from at uh, the Manish eighty nine. Manish Mather asks, "Do you agree with Hitch that Rebecca didn't belong to him, but to Selznick? Uh, he was forced to be faithful to the book. His vision is, is is present. What do you what do you think about that? 
Well, as regards the, the faithfulness to the book, I already sort of talked about that. He was faithful in some ways to a lot of the text. I, I'm thinking of Strangers on a Train again, um, just because it's another um, book adaptation written by a woman. Um, but as I said that out loud, I realized that he, he made they made a ton of changes from that book to the film, but they still kept sort of the skeleton. This this keeps a lot closer to Moray's story. Um, but I do think the, uh, the, the David O. Selznick was strong with this one. And I think that's the old Hollywood we see in there. And, you know, Hitchcock's um, relatively untested abilities in Hollywood. He was already a very prolific director in, in England at the time. Um, I think that sort of just put him at a, a disadvantage. Um, so I, I feel like, you know, the Best Picture Award was given to David O. Selznick. I, I think it's at least partially um, to blame on him. I, I think, and I mean, this is a... a, a a generalization and it's very reductive to think this way but i feel like hitchcock was really into the mandalay sections and that's why they pop as well as they do and the beginning and the end feel like more classic hollywood which right. probably was more of an old selznick kind of thing that's my guess at least i would i would say that this, this feels like a movie that was something happened in, in the committee and that committee was david o selznick because mm-hmm. selznick is gonna selznick like he yeah oh yeah he's he gonna selznick he's one of the biggest names in the game so Look at his company's logo in the beginning. It's like, it's, it's, I mean, it's ridiculous. It's, it's not even a logo. It's just a picture of a house. Like, it's, it's, he, should be, he should be sitting out there with like a, a shotgun in his hand or something. Like, yeah, this is mine. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna shoot up your movie, boy. Yeah, yeah that's what I do. So, um, yeah, I think this is more of a. This is this is less of a. This parts of it feel like a Hitchcock movie, but not all of it. Right. Later, later, Hitchcock is like, "This is all this man. Yeah. He is, he's no, a, he's adapting this weird book about the serial killer, and he does not give a fuck what nope. you think about it. No, he doesn't at all. It's great at all. <laughs> uh, you have been listening to the Oscar Watch podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, if you are upset about anything we said today, feel free to write us an email at oscarwatchpodcast at gmail Find us on social media, and if you are listening on iTunes, be sure to leave a review. It really helps people find it. Matt, Mm. what are we doing next week? We got a good one. We do have a good one. I feel like I I have the order in my head. (laughs) (laughs) Now I'm actually, like, forgetting the order. Okay, all right. Well, all right. Next week is the official beginning of October, so we are starting our October festival of... uh, for your reconsiderations, because we have already talked about the science of the lambs on this show, so we can't yep. talk about that. So we're going to go with the next best thing, one of the next best things, and talk about the sixth sense. Yeah, I thought that's what it was. Yeah, you I thought that was. I wasn't sure. Yes, so. the night, the 1999 ghost story written and directed by M. Night Shyamalan, starring Bruce Willis and Haley Joel Osment. One of the all-time highest-grossing ghost-related movies after exorcist and i'm sure it will take care of all of that soon yeah, enough. Yeah, it's mopping up yeah. yes but i'm looking forward to uh, revisiting that i feel like it has been many years since i've uh i've i've uh i've seen that one so actually i'm writing about uh that film in my thesis so oh well, splendid. i have plentiful notes <laughs> yes well since we can't read your thesis yet where can people read your movie reviews uh, you guys can find me as per usual on uh, the Instagram at movie underscore matinee. Um, I've been, I've tried to do a movie review a day. I've been a little slack, although I've still been posting things that have been going on. Um, I'm just getting, I'm writing my thesis and I'm getting prepared for the uh, 31 horrors of October, which will start on Sunday. 
um, 31 uh, Halloween or horror movies, one per day, along with probably other ones, just because I'll end up seeing multiple ones anyways. Um, so that's always like my favorite. It's my favorite time of year anyways, and it's just a great time to um, share some of these films with people. So as I said earlier, I'll, I'll have some a lot of movies I have never seen, some movies I'm revisiting um, you know, on Blu-ray, uh, a theatrical film, a couple Netflix exclusives, and they'll be all over the place in terms of, I, I range from like 1932 to 2017, so it'll be all over the place. Beautiful. Looking look forward to that. Me too. So much so, as well as looking forward to next week and every week with you. Enjoy, enjoy spending time. We hope you enjoy spending time with us. We thank you for doing that. And until next week, I see dead people. 